Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. And uh, just uh, so honored to have back with us today. It's been way too long, but the uh, Reverend Percy McRae is back with us today. And um, he is a cancer survivor himself, an ordained minister, director of the faith-based programs there at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. He's the host of a very popular podcast entitled Health, Hope, and Inspiration. In addition to all of that, uh, he oversees Our Journey of Hope, a nationwide cancer care ministry training and support program. And he has a couple of websites, cancercenter.com, and then there's healthhopeandinspiration.com, a couple of websites that you can check out there. Uh, Pastor, good to see you again. How are you, friend? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? Good. Thanks for your time. I so appreciate what you do and the spirit about how you go about it. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. It's my privilege. Thank you for letting God use you the way you're doing. Uh, cancer is um, touches all of us. I don't know anybody that's not touched by it these days. And uh, it's just one of those, I don't know. I, I've asked you this before. Do you think it in itself is epidemic? I guess it depends on how you want to define epidemic, but certainly for sure. And, and particularly before COVID, it was probably the number one discussed topic of my uh, disease that we are dealing with. And I think that, you know, one could argue that, you know, there's an epidemic dynamic to it. The good news about cancer, though the numbers continue to grow with regard to diagnosis, is that there are more and more people who are surviving cancer today than any time ever in the history of cancer. Uh, that number has dropped by 33% over the last 15, 20 years. And so that's really good news in that regard. That's wonderful. Um, is there a connection, this is a big question, but is there a connection between cancer and mental health? Well, I think the connection that, that, that can be made is the fact that we know today that what's, what's on the radar of, of most conversations is now being open about the dynamics of mental health and that there are more and more people who are dealing with mental health because there's more conversation about it, right? Mm -hmm. and for sure. Uh, the numbers tell us and suggest to us that mental health and cancer can be correlated one to another, particularly when one is diagnosed with cancer, particularly around the issues of anxiety, depression, and distress. But what we also are learning is that cancer may also uh, help people to understand that people may have had a pre-existing mental health condition that was never really discussed or understood and cancer kind of helped to exasperate that. So the, the point to be made is that anything that causes people uh, to go into depression, anything that causes distress in people's lives uh, and creates anxiety, and certainly cancer can do all of those, uh, is, a, is something that we should be mindful of and attentive to. So when somebody is given the C word, doesn't that in itself create anxiety and depression, which is mental health? That is correct. So that's that's the that's the point to be made that whether there was a pre-existing dynamic of some sort of uh, mental health dynamic or not, certainly. And being a former cancer patient, I can relate to the day when I heard those words spoken over me. There was certainly an element of anxiety and dynamics that I had to work through mentally and emotionally and cope with and, and be able to counteract. And for people who do not have the necessary resources or relationships 
or wherewithal to do that, that can linger and potentially exasperate uh, a possible journey of cancer, particularly just from a, from being a hope, being hopeful and, and, and kind of killing people's hope and, and, and putting pressure on people's hope at the end of the day. So there is a direct relationship that can happen when one is told that they have cancer. Now they're potentially having to maybe deal with some elements of mental anxiety. And that's one of the reasons why at our organization, uh, we provide uh, mental health uh, support within the uh, working walls of, of our organization when people are diagnosed, because that is a real dynamic that they need to have help with. Okay, I, I don't know if I can answer, ask this question correctly, so forgive me if I bundle, bumbled it a little bit, but has mental health become a diagnosis that creates its own anxiety? It's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure that I would be able to respond to that appropriately at this moment. I need to give some thought to it. I haven't read any data or statistics that speak to that, but certainly within the framework, I think of the day and age that we live in with so many other external forces and factors that are pressing in on people, uh, mental health now is a conversation that has to be had within our local faith communities, within our family structure, and certainly within the walls of, of uh, medicine and science where people are dealing with other uh, comorbidities uh, from a healthcare perspective. So it's an interesting school of thought. I'm not sure that yeah. I can answer. Where, where I'm trying to go with this, Pastor, is that I can handle the word anxiety and anxious, and I can handle the word depression, but mental health puts me into a category. I don't know if I like that diagnose. <laughs> think anybody likes that term and that's the that's yeah. the point of exercise because i think we're coming we're coming to terms as a society with what actually is going on with people's emotions right what right. It, from a mental perspective when they're under pressure under duress under stress and that's become the, the 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 academic term that is being utilized but it is also one of the reasons why people are still struggling with being open about discussing that because they're they're dealing with the stigma and maybe even the, uh, uh, a historic reputation around the word mental health to suggest that someone is crazy or associated with that. Mm -hmm. But at, hey, there are levels to this. There's yeah. depths that we, I think that we need to unpack and be willing to have an open conversation about. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because that does explain it. Um, but I do know, that probably you have experienced this, that when you're dealing with somebody on some level, let's say cancer, mm -hmm. Something else can surface that's been down there a long time. Have you experienced that? Without a doubt. And again, uh, what we are calling mental health today, to whatever level or degree that we want to associate that with, can be one of those dynamics. But certainly with regard to, and it has been my experience, uh, people's past with regard to the history with their family, their mom, their dad, unresolved issues, uh, bad marriages, Dynamics that have happened with their children, loss of life, bereavement that has never been, that they've never had closure with, that they've never come to terms with, they've never had a conversation with anyone. I just recently had this conversation with a, a family member of mine uh, around this very subject, that uh, there needed to be some conversation of things that took place 20 years ago, but then a, a cancer diagnosis took place, and then that bubbled up, it resurfaced, mm. and it became a real dynamic that needed to be addressed. Um, 
In your line of ministry and work, when somebody is given the C word for the first time, what's your first approach to them? Yeah, school 101 with regard to hearing that someone has cancer, whether it's a family member or someone that you're supporting at your local church or whatever, is first and foremost, do not provide your assessment or anything that you think you understand about cancer to that person. Everybody's journey is unique, is different. And so the number one question that should always be asked and that I always approach this conversation with is, once they tell me that they have cancer or whatever the dynamic is, I always ask, so how do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? Because you're trying to assess where that person is located. You're trying to understand how they are processing that and one of the things, particularly as kind of people of faith, we tend to come in with our, uh, with, with am, you know, ammunition of we want to give a sermon, we want to give a scripture, we want to pray right away. And all of those things has its appropriate place. But one of the key things is that we have to assess where the patient is located before we begin to start providing them with resources of support. Because we really don't know what we're dealing with at that point. We're, we're walking into a situation... <laughs> So why is it one of our first reactions is we always want to say, uh, my uncle, me, somebody else. We immediately divert from the person who just spilled their heart out on the table, and we want to take the conversation over to another area. Why do we do this? Well, we're uncomfortable about the conversation of cancer. We're uncomfortable about the subject. And so in kind of in a nervousness, then we just resort to something that is familiar to us, right? that we can try to readily pull out of our back pocket because we think that that's what's necessary. And the fact of the matter is what most cancer patients are looking for when they address you is they want to, they want to get a sense of, can they just trust you to kind of unpack what's going on with them? Mm -hmm. And so have to uh, resist the temptation of being feeling like we have to be prepared to say something right away or offer something to them. Our best ability that we can offer any cancer patient in an initial engagement is our availability. And to use these two items here and less of this item here so that we can understand where that person is so that we can walk alongside them before we begin to try to prescribe what we think we've heard, stories that we are familiar with, et cetera, et cetera. Because at that moment, that means nothing to a cancer patient until we find out where they are truly located. We've got to let them drive the bus. Thank you for saying that, because so often we want to be psychiatrists and doctor in one sentence. <laughs> you know, um, OK, so let me just give you another little uh, scenario here. Um, Christians uh, who are working with family members or a friend who's got cancer and maybe even have mental health issues. You got the two on the table. Yep. What do we do, coach? Yep. Well, if, if we're aware that there are some some, some historic mental health dynamics, uh, first and foremost, I think what it, what will be important is can we help the patient be willing to sit down and possibly have a conversation with, quote unquote, a mental health specialist? Mm -hmm. and, and, and there are very again, there's various levels to this. So that could be a, that could be someone who is just simply a counselor. Right who's there to kind of help people step through a conversation. That could, meet, that could be a psychologist. A psychologist is someone that is not going to be there to prescribe any type of medical 
uh, process or treatment or what have you. And then there is a psychiatrist. So there's different levels to this. So it can be a family therapist. It can be a counselor. It can be a psychologist. It could be a psychiatrist. But there, but there needs to be an assessment of what is the depth level of, of whatever the quote-unquote possible mental health dynamic is at work. And we are not equipped to determine that. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, pastors are not either. And I know that you know there'll be some pastors that'll shriek at the idea of hearing that, but they need to understand the line of demarcation when they are beyond the ability to kind of delve into that uh, from an assessment perspective that then we need to try to encourage that person would they be willing to sit down to talk to someone who is trained in mental health to kind of help assess what their needs are and then potentially what can be prescribed to help that individual. It could be something as simple as just getting in a, in a, in a, a group, you know, a support group, if you will, or having some sessions at some time to be able to talk through and unpack historically some dynamic that they may have never shared with anyone, including their local pastor. Yeah. Gosh, that's great stuff. All right, let me take a quick break. So delighted and honored to have back with us today, Pastor Percy uh, McRae. He's also a cancer survivor himself. He's a minister, and he's the director of the faith-based programs there at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. By the way, his podcast is a must, Health, Hope, and Inspiration with Reverend McRae. You may want to check that out. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's Daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And again, uh, just uh, such an honor. Consider him a friend. He just uh, loved the man's spirit. Uh, the Reverend Percy McRae is with us. He himself is a cancer survivor. And he's an ordained minister. And he's the director of the faith-based programs there at the Cancer Treatment Center uh, of America. His podcast is a must. Check it out. Health, Hope, and Inspiration. And he also oversees Our Journey of Hope, a nationwide cancer care ministry and training and support program. Two websites, cancercenter.com or healthhopeandinspiration.com. And there's the picture of the landing page there. Pastor, I've been, during the break, I was trying to figure out how to ask this. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a counselor. I play all three, even an attorney. I play all three. I play all those roles on television. <laughs> But I'm not one, okay? <laughs> but I've learned some things through the years. And as people are diagnosed with cancer and they go through the staging process, there seems to be a significant response related to the stage. But when stage four is announced, it's a different impact. It's a different hard hit, if I can put it that way. Um, let me stop there. Did you, do you notice that? Well, absolutely. Once people are basically, they can decompress what those different levels are. I know when I was diagnosed with cancer, the very first thing that I was wanting to get assessed was what stage am I? And I was early stage one, thank goodness. And because I knew what that represented, 
definitely there was a different emotional and mental kind of sense of relief that came over me because I knew that that represented uh, early detection. And the earlier that your cancer can be detected, the greater possibility and probability of cure and treatment. And so as you go down that line, you know, down to four, then that, of course, becomes uh, more marginal negative perspective. So it, it, it does create a different dynamic of emotion. And so, yes, that can happen because people are trying to get their arms wrapped around that. But once people are able to hear that information, decompress that, and then kind of work through what are their options, then people can kind of step through the emotional sense of what does that mean going forward in the future. But to your point, uh, and I am not a doctor, nor am I a psychologist, <laughs> or, and I don't play any is that they certainly then will probably need to be able to talk about that and express what does that mean? How do they feel about that? And this is where potentially uh, having someone that is on, on the staff of their medical team can be a real help to them to kind of step through that and unpack that in ways that maybe just the average person who is, support, who is supporting them cannot do so because they don't know what to do or say mm -hmm. based upon what that person's emotional reaction will be to that at that point. So this is why this conversation is really critical. Because cancer patients, even if they're believers, even if they're people of great faith, may have to work through the emotional anxiety or distress that may come with hearing, say, a stage four diagnosis. And if not for anything else, for an initial season, it may not even be long term. The reason I bring that up, because once stage four is announced, um, all the voices into that person's life come into play. Uh, some will say, go natural. Some will say stick with the medical, and some will say go faith. And this is where you come in. How in the world do you bring balance to making decision on a stage four patient as to whether or not they're going to follow the medical advice, or they maybe going to go to more of a natural medical uh, procedure, or yeah. they're just going to believe God for a miracle? How do you balance that? Well, yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. So I was alluding to that point earlier. Once, once, once a person hears that, then we have to kind of get a sense of, and certainly what we do within our organization. I just want to add a quick clarification that now Cancer Treatment Centers of America has been merged with City of Hope. Oh. So we associated now with a much larger uh, healthcare organization listed in the top ten best hospitals in the United States of America as of uh, I think uh, last month is that part of the team approach, and, you're, and I'm part of the team, or, or members of my team are part of the team, that may be brought into a conversation to say, listen, this is a person of faith. They've just been given a, a really tough diagnosis. Uh, and, and so then we may be called upon, or just one of several members of the team will be called upon to come in and sit out and talk with that person. If that then falls into the purview uh, from a spiritual care perspective, you know, one of the chaplains or spiritual care support members, uh, and I've been in that seat many, many times, you know, going on close to three decades of supporting cancer patients, you come in and you you sit down and you really try to help them to unpack. First of all, that is not a time for them to make a decision. I have come to terms with the fact that I try to encourage all cancer patients not to try to make any critical decisions while in that state of mind. They need some time, whether a moment, whether a day, in some cases, maybe even a week or longer to assess how all of that is, is, is washing over them and to have people make quick decisions 
under those type of emotional stressors typically is not a good idea because, again, think about any time any you or I or anyone else has been in a state of emotional chaos, you know, you need to take a time out. You need to step back from the situation to try to really assess how you feel about everything that's been said to you. And maybe when things settle a little bit, then we can help people sort through all of the questions. Do they continue with some type of treatment or care? Uh, is there a natural, you know, process that that may be available to them, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the moment, in the heat of the moment, that's not a time for cancer patients to make a decision. I actually tell cancer patients, particularly if they're people of faith, you need to sit down and have some time with God. You need to get quiet. You need to get still. And you need to seek the face of God or the voice of God. And however you process that, then let's kind of circle back, whether it's a day or a week or whatever the time frame is, and let's sit down and kind of decompress that a little bit. But in the moment of hearing that, that is not the time for anyone to make rash decisions because they're they're in a very heightened emotional state at that point. Very good. Um, would you mind if I ask you a personal question? Please. Sure I understand. You, you go home overwhelmed with suffering and grief. What does Percy do to recharge? It's a great question. It's one of the first lessons that I learned when I got into this business uh, close to three decades ago was that, uh, and the, I think the clinical term for it is called compassion fatigue. This also applies to social workers or doctors, anyone that's in these type of environments where they're hearing and engaging with people on a day in and day out basis uh, with those type of really significant life-threatening scenarios, uh, what everyone has to learn how to do is that they have to learn how to step away from their work and allow themselves time to kind of decompress what they've heard, what they've experienced on a day or a week or a month. And it is critical uh, on a daily basis that, um, that I find time for myself to kind of even assess how I feel about what I heard or what has been said to me in terms of my own personal emotions about that. There have been patients that I've gotten very close to that impacted me greatly, that, that you know, I had to really sit down and I had to take some time to decompress that. But on a broader level, uh, taking time away where you can just go vacations, uh, and this is true for pastors also, that there must be dedicated time that you assign to yourself for your own, for your own mental health and emotional health, because at the end of the day, you cannot draw from an empty well. And if you are overwhelmed, then you really have nothing to offer to individuals. And that's not fair to the people that you sit in front of. So you have to learn to set uh, lines of demarcation in time where you can heal, recover, rejuvenate, and whatever those processes are that facilitate that for you, that has to be consistent and you have to be committed to your own mental health process. So for me, uh, I'm a water person, as an example, and so uh, and I own a pool, and so getting in water or getting near water in at the beach or whatever helps to really therapeutically soothe me. I hear God much more clear when I'm in water or around water. Mm. Taking, exercising. I'm a bike rider. Those are all ways to help my mental health, my mental health, and to help keep me balanced uh, with my work life balance at the end of the day. Well, thank you for 
being transparent with that. I love the term compassion fatigue. I never quite heard it like that. Uh, I was helping a pastor the other day. <laughs> um, long story, but here's the short end of it. A burned out pastor. Yeah. You know, they're, they're by the dozens out there. They are. And here was his assessment of who he is. He said, I'm a turtle suffering from claustrophobia. Wow. Wow. Think about that. And, yeah, and in hearing that, he probably needs, and I'm going to throw this out here because it still falls within the purview of this conversation. And, and I've just been recently at a, um, uh, at a big convention where pastors and bishops and, uh, were talking, and many of them were talking about the same dynamics, and they were talking about it is now time for us as ministry leaders that we may also need to seek counsel and therapy from a mental health perspective. And one particular pastor said he had to take a sabbatical because he had gotten to the point that he did not want to go to his own church to the services that he was leading because he became overwhelmed with all of it at the end of the day and that he needed some help. He needed to decompress that. Well, um, it's, it's a big area of ministry, uh, and we'll get into that. Hey, Percy, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure, friend. Thank you for giving us your time. Let me share to our viewers and listeners. Check out his website, uh, healthhopeandinspiration.com. That's also the title of his podcast. And, of course, cancercenter.com. Uh, the ministry there at the uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. God bless you, my friend. Let's stay connected. You're very inspiring. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. See ya. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at the Dove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.